God opens Balaam's eyes and God opens the donkey's mouth. So he is allowing then Balaam to see what he couldn't normally see and he's allowing the donkey to say it in words that she couldn't normally speak. So, but it's clearly her thoughts. She is a very wise character and speaks in syntax and and we know now, and, and this is how all the animals are portrayed in the Bible, but we know scientifically that almost all animals have languages and they have sentences and they have syntax and they can speak to each other and scientists can actually, when they interpret their language, they can then speak back to them. Welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast curated for curious faith discussions. This week, our guest is Dr. Rahel Wells, professor of biblical studies at Andrews University. This week, we are exploring questions related to the human-animal relationship from a biological and biblical standpoint. How does God relate to animals, and how can we derive a biblical ethic towards our fellow earth dwellers based on the observation in scripture? If you're not already following us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, be sure to find us at the handle at AdventNext. This week, our co-host is Caleb Isley, the editor for a storytelling platform called Humans of Adventism. You can follow his work at the Instagram handle at Humans of Adventism or at Caleb Isley. I'm your host, Kendra Arsenal, and this is Advent Next. All the Old Testament classes and then Hebrew and then some general education religion courses as well. So, All right. Well, we're really excited to have you on the show today. And our co-host is Caleb. Uh, Caleb, I don't know how to say your last name. Is it's it? Isley. Isley. Yes. I'm always like, Caleb uh, happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, I'm so glad to have you on the show today. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself for those who don't know you. Okay. My name is Caleb Isley. I'm the editor for a storytelling platform online called Humans of Adventism. And I also work for the communications department in the Oregon Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Okay. So kind of what those things come down to is I spend a lot of my time face-to-face with other Seventh-day Adventists talking about and and guiding them through uh, their stories. Mm. So um, just different life experiences that they have and then helping package those and put them uh, online in a meaningful way. Gotcha. Mm. And what kind of inspired you to get into Humans of Adventism? I got to be honest, I grew up really not exposed to other people. Mm. Uh, Very specific culture with not a lot of diversity. And so coming into adulthood... Um, I recognized this kind of gap in my understanding where I had these very strong opinions on uh, how other people should live their lives and, and you know, what they should be like. And, and it came down to they should be more like me. Mm. And so I've kind of been on this 10-year process of, of deprogramming from a little bit of that and just listening as much as possible and uh, getting myself in spaces where uh, I don't know. You know, and and I take the position that I don't know, but I want to. Mm. And if somebody wanted to find out more of what you're doing on Humans of Adventism, Mm -hmm. where would they find that? Sure. Uh, Facebook or Instagram, they could go find Humans of Adventism. You could also go to our website at AdventistHumans.com. I think it's a fantastic mission just to kind of get to know our neighbor and our family and the people that we share this community of faith with. That's that's really cool. So Mm -hmm. we transition today... um, I heard you talk uh, last last semester at a faith and science dialogue, mm-hmm. and you were talking a little bit about the relationship between uh, humans and animals and and our interaction with the planet. Um, and I thought it was fascinating because it's not a, a talk that we we hear a lot. So, how did you get into this? How did this become a passion of yours? 
That is also a long story, but um, the very short version is that I grew up loving animals always. Mm -hmm. I was the kid who saved the ants out of my mom's kitchen, you know, wouldn't let her kill them and took them outside. <laughs> um, and I really have my parents to thank. I mean, they, they, my mom has been an advocate for environmental care for my whole life, for her whole life. Um, but then in Really, in college, I was a science major, a biology major, straight biology, no pre-med, nothing. I just loved biology. And so, um, but I felt that I wanted to be a biologist who was trained in theology. So I went to the seminary, um, took a master's there afterwards, but still thought I was going the biology direction. And then mm. through a whole bunch of circumstances, God um, turned me back while I was in the midst of my master's in biology and was like, no, I really want you to do theology. And so... At that point, I applied to doctoral programs in both biology and theology and said, okay, Lord, you have to choose for me. And he didn't do that. He still made me choose. And so like, but he led me and he helped me to realize that my passion really was um, teaching about the Bible and telling people about God and helping them to love Jesus better, but that I also wanted to do that in some sort of interconnected way with my biology background. Mm. And so... Um, I ended up going to school at Wheaton College in Chicago, and um, in my dissertation, they they wanted me to do something interdisciplinary, which was really cool. So I got to do God's care for animals and God's response to their vocaliz vocalizations in the Old Testament and how he responds to them and wow. cares for them. And so it's, I mean, it's always kind of been my passion, but it's really come together, I would say, in the last 10 years. And um, that, you know, that's it's what I love to talk about. I, I tell my students whenever it comes up in class, I'm like, oh no, you're going to get like an hour of me talking about this. So I try to, I try to keep it well, calm when I can. This is the perfect but... platform. You can spend an hour <laughs> yeah. talking about this because it, it's, it's such an interesting uh, topic because mm -hmm. there is some, you know, I, I love animals. I grew up with animals. I think it's interesting that, that some people grow up with a notion of thinking that animals don't feel or think mm -hmm. or even, you know, uh, vocalize uh, their wants and emotions to God. But you did a dissertation on that. What was something that was either surprising or confirmatory in that study? Well, I didn't initially go into it with that goal. I, I wanted to just look at God's care for animals, but then it just became apparent to me that that was so big of a topic. I mean, animals, once you start reading the Bible and looking for animals, they are everywhere. <laughs> um, and so I had to narrow it down, and I, um, it, it was really a God-led thing. I was just reading through, reading through the Bible again, just you know, trying to pray for what God wanted me to write about, what was important. And just these texts started jumping out at me, and so I started digging deeper and looking, and there are a lot of passages that are um, very metaphorical about animals, so or about God or about people, right? That aren't talking literally. But then there are other passages that are very clearly literal, where the animals are clearly using the same speech words as humans. Um, God answers them just like He does humans, mm. and so I think that was probably the most surprising thing to me. I, I didn't expect to have this kind of differentiation, and that's another thing I feel like we've not done a good job with in the church is talking about how to differentiate metaphorical language from more literalistic language, mm. and we tend to only call something literal if we agree with it. If we don't want to hear that message, we call it metaphorical, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's a problem. It's a serious problem. So I think that was actually the most surprising thing to me. Gotcha. And then the other most surprising thing was just that, that God does respond to animals just like he does to humans. He answers their prayers. He, um, you know, responds to their needs. And I, I would not in any way argue that animals are more important than humans. 
um, because you see clearly that that's not the case, but that they are important to God in the mm. Bible. So, and God does answer them and care about them. And it's interesting. I mean, you see him even giving commands about the land, mm-hmm. um, you know, giving it rest. Yes. And so... Cares about all of his creation, not just humans. And we've tended to think because we're made in God's image that therefore we are the only thing that matters. Mm. And I think that's actually the opposite because really God is saying you're made in God's image, which carries the connotations through scripture of having the responsibility that God would have if he were doing what we're supposed to be doing. So we're supposed to care for rule over the earth as God would do it. Yeah. And that's mm. what it really means to be his image. So it's it's not it's not something that we have better than animals. I mean, actually, if you look at over the years, hundreds of things that people have said, oh, animals have, you know, we are better than animals in this. And then we find an animal that's better than humans. So almost mm. all of them across the board. And so it just, it's been very hard to pin down what that is. And I think that's because it's intended to be more of a functional thing rather than a specific characteristic. Interesting. Have you encountered this mentality that, especially within Seventh-day Adventist Church, that um, because Jesus is coming soon, that either we shouldn't care or we should actively uh, work to make things worse? Oh, yes. To hasten his, you know, return? Oh, yes, all the time. That is, in fact, one of the most common responses. People are like, why should I care? The earth's going to burn, you know. Mm. we're." But I actually think... You know, you can make the same argument for why should you care about your body? Yeah. Shouldn't you hasten your death? You know, shouldn't you not, you know, make yourself live shorter so that, you know, sooner Jesus will come? Shouldn't, you know, why care about your body if you're going to get a new one? So I think you can make that same argument. Um, And then when you also look through scripture, you see that even when God brings judgment on the earth, he never totally destroys it, like at the flood. And in fact, he compares... Um, Peter and in Revelation compare um, the the destruction at the end of time by fire to the flood, right? So the flood didn't completely destroy the earth. It's not like it just went bazam and then new earth, mm-hmm. um, but God cleansed it and he, you know, cleansed it of the sin and the problems there. So I see that as the same at the end. So we should actually seek to care as much as we can um, in the meantime. And there's a whole host of other reasons, but of course, I think the main reason being we are to go back to Eden. Mm. We are to continually live, try to live as if we were in the new earth already. And that was when we were given the responsibility to care for mm. all the creatures. And so mm. that has never changed. That command continues throughout all of scripture and it will be in the new earth as well. We will still be caring for the earth, caring for the animals. Interesting. I mean, we see instances in the Bible, like God talking to a serpent or him opening up the donkey's mouth. Uh, with Balaam to to speak intelligible words. I mean, what is that? Did God really speak to the serpent in in human language? Or, I mean, how, I mean, do donkeys really have, if they could communicate human thoughts in that way? Like, what what is the Bible trying to point at in in that regard? Well, those are the only two examples where we have the words that animals speak. So, um, in the other places in the Bible, it just says that they speak. It doesn't, we don't find the words, um, But, you know, it's complicated to answer that question. I'm not really sure because I think in Genesis 3, the serpent is also Satan. So you have two things going on there. 
And I think the text makes that clear. You have the serpent being punished, but you also have Satan being punished. And so um, clearly the serpent is on some level culpable because as a result of what the serpent does, the animals also were affected. Mm. Um, but just like when Adam sins, the rest of humans are affected. But but it's beyond that with with Satan. So I that passage is not as important to me just because I feel that it's more complex to tease out who's speaking and what they're saying. But obviously Eve understood what the serpent was saying. She was also not surprised. So that tells me that, and neither was Balaam. So that tells me that already you had the people in the Bible like we do today. I mean, I, I think maybe I'd be a tiny bit shocked if my cat started talking to me, but I have a pretty good sense of what she thinks all the time. Like I'm I know. Hungry. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> She's actually a very friendly cat. She was like a dog. She wants to be with me all the time. But um, but I, I, I pretty much know what she's saying already. And so I think that, you know, could they speak each other's language at that point? Perhaps some have thought that. I, I'm not I'm not sure one way or another. I'm not sure I come down one way or another on that. I think Balaam's donkey is more clear because um, God opens Balaam's eyes and God opens the donkey's mouth. So he is allowing then Balaam to see what he couldn't normally see, and he's allowing the donkey to say it in words that she couldn't normally speak. Mm. So, But it's clearly her thoughts. She is The angel then repeats those and you know modifies them when he talks with Balaam. So... Um, and the donkey is, again, is a very wise character and speaks in syntax. And mm. and we know now, and, and this is how all the animals are portrayed in the Bible, but we know scientifically that almost all animals have languages and they have sentences and they have syntax and they can speak to each other. And scientists can actually, when they interpret their language, they can then speak back to them. So mm. it's not that far of a stretch. If you're a scientist, you're like, of course, that makes sense, right? Mm. Yeah. So... Um, even like ants. Ants have multiple glands in their body and they release different chemicals at different times and in different amounts and they speak to each other. Wow. And so scientists can interpret that or change their instructions and make them do something else, right? So they actually have very complex language systems. We just don't understand them. Mm. Mm. Well, it's just interesting uh, the times that Jesus or that God uses animal characters right mm -hmm. and so like in the story of jonah well and the same in balaam where he's using these mm -hmm. animals in order to bring about a different result or or a change in that person's life uh mm -hmm. and and what's funny is both of these are prophets doing some mm -hmm. you know right they're, doing they're disobedient they're they're disobedient but the animals are obedient so well this animals. is all yeah. through the bible i mean mm -hmm. you just start reading all the prophets they say like if you're just like an animal with God, you'd be okay. Like mm. if you worship God like an animal does, you'd be good, but you don't, right? Mm. Like you're so you're you know so far down. Um, so it, those are those examples come to mind, I think, because it's a story. Mm -hmm. But if you go through, it's throughout. I mean, God continually uses animals as punishment, and He uses animals as examples, mm -hmm. um, and He uses animals as then sacrifices. Even of course, right? They represent people mm. because they are innocent and they die for us. And so, um, but the Jonah story. Um, again, you don't see directly animals talking there, so it's more of a God caring, but he got, God talks to them. Mm -hmm. um, and interestingly, all of the nature and creation objects that God talks to in the book, the only one that he, or the, that God tells them to do things, he only speaks to the fish. Mm -hmm. So he appoints all the other things, but he speaks to the fish, and then the fish obeys and responds. So I think that it also hints at this communication ability with animals that that he doesn't have with other objects that he made. 
Yeah, it, it almost seems to me like he's using uh, animals to be a prophet to the prophets. Oh, yeah. Right? Like he, mm-hmm. the prophets were people who took a message from God to the people. Mm-hmm. But when the prophets aren't listening, then I'll use the animals to prophesy mm. to the prophets. Yeah, I mean, and there's so many animals in that story because, of course, you have the whale who saves Jonah and who ob- obeys, or the big fish, I and mean, we don't know if it's a whale, but probably. Um, and then you have the animals in Nineveh who the king says, oh, wow, we need to repent. So everyone needs to put on sackcloth and ashes, including the animals, and cry out to God. And so this is what the whole city does. And this is actually, it was very common at that time. Mm. They would have animals involved in their mourning times, you know, and and in their praise times. And so they viewed them as sentient beings who could cry out to God as well. And then, at the, of course, at the very end of the book, God says, I want to save Nineveh, not just because of the people, but because of the animals also that are there. Wow. So there's a ton of animals in the book, yeah. um, but they don't, we're not told exactly that they speak, but we're told that the king asks them to speak. So, um, and I think this, this was true even in America up till, I don't know exactly the year, but animals were tried in courts. So if animal, if an animal did something wrong, like they killed a human, if they stole something, if they hurt someone, they would actually go to the court. So, how, would they, how would they testify? <laughs> I guess probably the owner did, but, you know, but it, it's, it's only recently, yeah. on some level at least, of course, there's always been people who have been, you know, against animals. But, I mean, animals lived in people's houses. All their animals did. They were they were part of the family. All through the Bible, animals are part of the family. Yeah, you see you that, know, especially so. in that story with David. And, mm-hmm. and Nathan brings in the story, and he talks mm-hmm. about the lamb that slept in the man's yes. bed and ate from his table and, like, yes. very kind of what my dog does. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's where we've often made this separation, right? We talk about our dogs and our cats that way, but we don't think about all these other animals as having those things. And the Bible dismantles that. Like mm-hmm. all animals are nefesh chaya, which is living soul, mm-hmm. just like humans. But we often translate that differently. So we'll translate it for humans as living soul. And we'll translate the same phrase for animals as living creature, but it's the same. We have mm-hmm. the same breath, the same food, the same body. We're all called flesh. We have the same mind. We communicate with God. We communicate with each other. Um, so you have, we're in covenant with God. Mm. All animals are as well. So it's, it, there's a lot less difference in the Bible than there is often in our conceptions of animals. Why do you think, you know, we're able to ascribe sentient feelings to our cats and our dogs, but we don't tend to do that to maybe sheep or cattle or different animals that maybe... Hmm, I could set some <laughs> tough questions. Um, I think part of it is that we don't see them anymore. Mm. Like if we interact mm-hmm. with those animals, it's a food item, right? Or, um, and it's also that even our whole culture has defined certain animals as companion animals and certain animals as food animals. Mm-hmm. And those food animals are not even, you can't even have a pet. You have to have a special zoning to even have that animal. Like it's, it's some serious systemic species preference. Wow. I I was uh, doing some reading uh, a while ago about the laws of animal protection, you know, and how, you know, now if there's animal cruelty, those laws only apply, like you're saying, to those Mm -hmm. that are classified as pets, but those that are classified as food, those same animal cruelty laws don't apply to. And this was, I think, very fairly recently that they repealed this like in the 80s or 90s or something like that. Yes. I I think it's going in a better direction. Unfortunately, that is not coming from Christians. It's Mm. coming from other concerned people. I mean, maybe you have some Christians in that, but 
majority of people advocating for a better care for animals, even if you're going to, you know, have them as food animals, but to care for them, you know, in the meantime, there's more and more people advocating for that, but it's just a very slow process because people, I mean, people have certain habits that are hard to change, you know, and certain perceptions. Um, And so that, you know, I mean, good grief, we all have them for different things, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's been helpful for me to realize I have my own prejudices and my own habits that are on a different matter, right? Just because I care about animals so much and I'm, you know, I, but doesn't mean that I don't have blind spots in other areas. So, Mm. you know, I, I try to be reasonable and understanding. Like, I mean, even Ellen White took 10 years or more to become a vegetarian, even though she knew like it's a hard Mm. journey, right? Like when you've been used to doing something a certain way and like thinking of something, um, it's hard to change. Mm. Kind of looking back at the Bible and kind of getting some insight uh, from kind of God's relationship that he's established between mm-hmm. um, humanity and, and the care for the earth. You know, if, if God does care about uh, animals and the earth, why would he set up a, a system like uh, animal sacrifice? Why, yeah. That is such a good question. I still don't have the full answers for that. I mean, it's kind of, to me, it's like, why would God, you know, why did God choose Sabbath? Why did God choose, you know, I mean, there's different questions and I'm not sure we have the full answers, but I've thought about it a lot. And I think at least there's some things that we can say about it. And one is that sin is so awful, right? Mm. And sin leads to death. So how, how, how can God represent to people who don't get that, right? That sin, that they should die and that sin, when they sin, death happens, right? Mm. And, but if not for the grace of God, of God who comes and dies for us instead. And so this is pointing forward, of course, to Jesus' sacrifice. And man, if you had to go kill your pet or the animal you spent that lived in your house every time you sinned, you would really think seriously about it, right? You, this is your friend. This is your, or if it's not your friend, it's at least your coworker, right? I mean, this is the animal that you work with that does your work for you. So I think it makes it very real. Hmm. And part of our problem now is we are divorced from that, right? Hmm. We are divorced from that death. Sacrifice appears repulsive to us because how in the world could God do that? But here I am eating my slab of meat over here, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm. So it's it's this false dichotomy that we've made in our minds and we make God out to be a terrible person, but then we're actually the ones doing the cruel things to animals. Hmm. Whereas the sacrificial system was actually, I mean, as humane as it can possibly be, you know, in fact, still today, um, the Samaritans practice the, the sacrifices as they would have then. And they do the humane slaughter. Kosher is the same way. Kosher meat is humanely slaughtered. Mm. I mean, of course the animal feels pain, but it's quick and it's limited. And, you know, so how it's portrayed how Israel offered sacrifices is not when you go back to Leviticus, what they were supposed to do. Like I often did way more. And I think this is why the prophets call them out on that so much. They're like, God doesn't want all these sacrifices. Mm. Like God wants your heart to change. Right. So, um, it's not that God didn't institute sacrifices. I don't think God's mind changed on that. He's just trying to say, Hey, like, it's not about the sacrifice really. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then of course, I mean, the obvious reason is that this points to Jesus So the animals as these innocent creatures who love and trust us, you know, dying in our place, you know, this is, this is what we do to Jesus. What do you think is our kind of 
just moral responsibility, maybe not where we are right now, but uh, to work toward what's the moral ideal uh, when it comes to this relationship between humans and animals and especially the meat industry. I'm speaking as someone who is not vegetarian, Mm -hmm. uh, but I would say that morally I probably believe that you should be. (laughs) You know, I I think this is an undeveloped area Mm -hmm. in my morality that I kind of push to the side and think about my human interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what is the ideal? Well, again, I just want to affirm you in even thinking about it because I think that's the first step, right? And this mm-hmm. is what I encourage my students. Like, I don't expect you to become a vegetarian overnight. I just want you to think about what you're eating. Mm-hmm. I want to think about what you're doing. I want you to think about an animal, right? Like, think about your dog and think about that dog being the something that you ate, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think... People in the Bible ate a lot less meat than we do today. Even mm-hmm. Americans eat 73 pounds more meat per person per year than they did 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of meat, yep. right? So even if we just went back to the 40-year-ago mark, we'd be okay mm-hmm. worldwide. But um, but I think in the Bible, they had this different picture. I, I, don't, I don't see them as looking at meat as like this is a normal food. It was a celebratory food. It was mainly sacrificial, though. I mean, and then they would have a relationship with their animal. So it was it was very different. It'd be like me having to once a year go out and, like, sacrifice my cat, right? Mm. And then, like, that would destroy me. Mm-hmm. And then eat like, him. <laughs> right. That would right. utterly destroy me. But I think we've lost that connection, mm-hmm. right? So actually my husband grew up hunting, and it's actually helped me to understand this a lot more. Like he has a much more respect for animals. Mm-hmm. Even though he's a vegetarian now, he doesn't hunt anymore, but like he has a lot more respect for animals than many meat eaters who have never hunted, right? Because he yep. has done that. He's felt the animal die in his hands. He knows, like, he knows that that animal gave its life, Mm-hmm. And then he drained the blood. And I think this is also another issue we don't talk about often in the churches. The Bible is so clear. If you eat meat, you can't eat blood. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about clean and unclean, but we do not talk about blood. So we should all be eating kosher meat, which would automatically mean that we'd eat a lot less because it's very mm-hmm. expensive, right? Yeah. So I think, and even if we had the amount of, even if it actually cost what it really cost, mm-hmm. it's, it'd be about 160% more than what it actually costs because we subsidize it so much here in this country. So I encourage people to seek to think serious about what they eat like the people would have in the Bible. Like Jesus ate meat, probably mm-hmm. just on Passover when he was in Galilee eating fish. But I mean, it's not like it's a sin to eat meat. But I think the amount we're eating the type we're eating, mm-hmm. and the way it is being raised is a serious issue. Right. So obviously our ideal should be going towards that heavenly Eden goal of not eating meat. But but I think it's probably going to take a journey for a lot of people. So yeah. even just taking steps along that journey is, I think, where God would have us go, right? Because this is often how God works in the Bible. It's this progressive movement back to his ideal. So he doesn't just come to Israel and say, you have slaves, that's a problem, get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Right. No, he tries to redefine slavery and then slowly but surely move to having no slaves, right? So, you know, obviously if we were less stubborn and less problematic and less sinful, but I mean, but God is gracious and gentle with us. And so he's seeking to lead us back to the ideal. So that's what I would want is to inspire people with that ideal, which is good for not only our own health, but for the environment and for the animals. So like there's a whole bunch of factors now that factor into eating meat. It's not Mm -hmm. just 
the animal rights aspect. So if you don't care right. about animals, there's still a lot of other reasons that matter to people and why people are becoming vegetarians. Mm -hmm. Many of them now are not a vegetarian because they care about the animal, mm -hmm. but they have these broader, bigger issues that are yeah. a concern. It's interesting because when I first kind of became, went on like a, a vegan journey, it was not because I had any ethical sympathies for animals. Even though I did at some level, I think it was more health-wise. I was mm -hmm. concerned about myself. I was concerned about how do I be in the best shape. Um, and it wasn't until later on in that process that I started thinking about the other. Right. And, um, I'm, and I'm glad that we're bringing kind of even this balance because I'm not entirely opposed to like if there's a cow on a happy, you know, grazing farm somewhere out in beautiful, sunny California, right, uh, where there are happy cows um, and, <laughs> and they live their whole life kind of just in this blissful place. But then they have a really terrible moment at the end. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's better than kind of these cramped spaces mm -hmm. that they live. That most uh, industry meat animals live their whole lives or even in the dairy industry, um, the way that they're just cattle literally like caged. Um, and I think that that process, that's the part where we can say, you know, this is unethical because right. it's not even the Christian necessarily that's mostly in the advocacy of this, which is very ironic because we tend to have a strong morality mm -hmm. about a lot of things. But when it comes not to this. the sentience of, mm -hmm. of animals, why do you think because and you were there, and, and, and that's your colleague, and I'm sure you guys talk about this a lot. He was talking about ecology, and he put up the slide about how um, nations or, or, or demographics that are more Christian are actually, they, they care less about the environment. Mm -hmm. And the less Christian you are, the more you care about the environment. What is going on with that graph? <laughs> I think if we knew, we could solve a lot of problems, <laughs> but I'm not sure we know fully the answers. I think some of the reasons we were mentioning earlier, like, you know, that it doesn't matter so much if there's humans hurting, we should be helping them, you know. But I think a lot of the arguments against that kind of fall apart when you recognize that as you're helping the environment, you're also helping yeah. humans, you know. As you're, as you're caring for animals, you also end up caring for humans. As you change your diet more in the direction of vegetarianism, you're helping humans as well because mm -hmm. a lot of the... I think it's like 80-something percent of the land goes towards feeding animals in this world mm -hmm. now, 80% wow. of the cultivated land, and that only gives 18% of the calories. Mm -hmm. A lot of new studies out on this. And so mm. um, it's, it's a matter of going beyond just caring for the animals or caring for um, That's interesting. the earth, but it's much broader, right? Yeah. So you're helping other humans. Um, but I think I think at least one of that re one of the reasons is that Going back to your moral ideal question, Caleb, I don't I don't think that we have the moral ideal that includes not eating meat, right? Mm -hmm. Because the Bible doesn't say directly don't eat meat. And yeah. so therefore we just say whatever, we can eat whatever we want. And I think um, yeah, I think it's a it's a hermeneutical misunderstanding. Right? Yeah. It's it's a it's a misunderstanding of what the Bible is all about, which is when you look at the Bible and all that it says about animals, um, which is what most people don't, right? Yeah. Um, you see a much bigger picture than that God allows meat eating here and there because his ideal diets always still do not. Mm -hmm. And he's calling people away from this thing that came as a result of sin. I think the big question on everyone's mind is, will our, will our dogs be in heaven? Will our pets <laughs> be in heaven? Because... The real question. The real, the real this question. This is why you really had me here, right? <laughs> yeah. People want to know. Uh, um... Again, can I answer that with 100% certainty? No. But I think that the tenor of Scripture is yes. Hmm. You know, that God 
saves animals every time he saves humans. So all the salvation events in scripture include animals as well as people. So if you think of like the flood, God includes the animals as well. If you think of the plagues, you know, the plagues come on Egypt's animals, but not on Israel's animals. Mm. Um, so um, all of Jonah, like all of these salvation events, even in the New Testament, Romans 8 makes very clear that the whole creation, all of creation is groaning together along with humans and they're awaiting God to come to bring salvation. Mm. And so it's this sense of like, always God saves animals with humans. So it would make sense to me that God is going to save animals with humans at the end of time as well. Mm. Um, can I be certain that my exact pet will be there? I don't know. I mean, I feel like only God knows the hearts of animals, just like he knows the hearts of people. Right. Um, but I think there are some clues along the way, like that one I mentioned, but also um, Psalm 36, which actually was the title of my dissertation, Psalm mm. 36, 7, was God saves, Yahweh saves humans and animals. And it uses the salvation word. Only This is the only time you use that, that word for animals mm. as well. Interesting. And so I think there are hints, and I think there are... Um, um, plenty of hints actually in scripture that God hears animals cries, that God responds to them. And then of course, like I mentioned earlier, that God, um, views animals many times as better than humans, mm. you know, because mm. they're living their lives faithfully while humans are not, they're worshiping God, they're praising God, they're following him, they're obeying him. Mm. Humans are not. Mm. And so even for that alone, I think the, the Bible is hints that God really values their lives, their individual lives. Mm. Do you think that animals in their own, that they can make kind of moral choices, that they have the ability without kind of the interaction of, of humanity to make the distinction between right and wrong? Like, is an animal bad because a human makes him bad? Or is there some kind of innate internal compass that animals have that are, they're able to distinguish, um, you know, between right and wrong? That's another book I want to write someday, <laughs> but and wrestle with further because I really don't know the answer to that question. I yeah. mean, the, with the work I have done, I've not really dealt with that, right? Like, so I have not, I've hint, you know, touched on it, but um, I do think that it's clear in Scripture that animals are accountable for things. Mm. So the Bible never says that animals sin, but it says that they are affected by human sin, and so because of that, they, you know, experience death as well and then that they are accountable. So there's lots of laws actually that apply to animals as well as people. Hmm. Um, and you see this like in Genesis nine, animals are not supposed to kill humans. God puts that clarity in their mind. So um, when later animals, if an, an animal does kill a human, it is only when God tells them to do so, like hmm. in a punishment sense, mm -hmm. or if they've gone rogue. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, you know, they're not being accountable, right? So. Um, and this is why you had things in, you know, early America of people bringing animals to trial because they saw this in scripture. Mm, you know, it was clear that they were accountable for, they would die, they were supposed to die if they killed a human. Mm. Um, so I think there is some of that, you know, how we do that as far as wild animals go when we're encroaching on their territory and they're defending themselves. I don't know how God's going to deal with that. Like, right. you know, I have to trust him with that animal's heart as well. But um, I do think that there is room in scripture for animals to be disobedient mm. to God and to what they know is right and wrong. Now, do they have, I mean, even saying that humans have a moral compass is something that only probably a Christian would talk about, right? So 
I have no problem as a Christian saying that an animal could. Mm. Is it as developed as a human? I don't think so, because the things that they are accountable for are not as many, right? Mm. So they're, they are, they're not supposed to commit bestiality, so they're not supposed to have sex with, with humans. Um, they also are supposed to die. So unlike in the ancient Near East, other, the other nations, the animals didn't die. It was, you know, they just mm. got fined or something, you know, the, the human got fined. Mm. Um, um, the animals are also supposed to keep Sabbath. So almost every single Sabbath commandment, the animals are associated, at least the animals in the house. Yeah. Um, we have evidence today. You've probably heard of like these stories of the animals still like keeping the Sabbath day and stuff. It happens. It's not across the board, but there are animal colonies and populations out there that, that do not work on Sabbath. Mm. My dog keeps Sabbath every day. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, and then you have animals also not supposed to, like when Israel is asked to do something, animals are all usually also not supposed to do that. Like when they were at Mount Sinai, the humans weren't supposed to touch Mount Sinai before the third day and the animals also, God tells Mm. them not to. So there's a variety of laws that apply to animals as well as humans. Um, but could there be others that we don't know about? I don't know. Like, I mean, that's where it's hard for me to know. Like, do they, we do know that many animals do not just operate on instinct. And that's only been in the last 10 years or so that there's a ton of new research out about that, that animals are their own persons, Mm. um, maybe not an insect or something, but they, they, they know themselves. They have their own personalities. They have their own likes and dislikes Mm. and they, they have their own choices. Mm. So it's, yes, they operate by instinct, but so do humans. Humans yeah. also have instinct. So I think to say animals are instinctual, humans have this moral, spiritual compass is just not a biblical mm. concept or a scientific concept. Interesting. Um, I prefer to think of like a spectrum. Yeah. So, you know, humans are maybe at the top of the spectrum as far as morality and spirituality goes, but you have a lot of animals on the way up there. It's not just like animals, humans, right? It's like animals, various types of animals have more empathy, more... Um, ability to make choices more, you know, um, I mean, you have animals with whole societies. Ants have their own societies, right, that they build. So, and these are like tiny little creatures. So all animals have that. Mm. And we've tended to just think of humans, but animals do it too. Interesting. We're so glad you joined us as we explore a biblical ethic towards animals. Stay tuned for next week as we look at some practical applications of what it means to be good stewards of the earth. We want to thank the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible, as well as our guest, Dr. Rahel Wells. If you're not already following us on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, be sure to do so at the handle at AdventNext. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you next week.